0: Proverbs 16, 18 says, Pride goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. That's a long title, but I felt like that verse is an appropriate title for a study of a minor prophet that I want us to explore together for a few minutes this evening. And that's the prophet Obadiah. So I encourage you to look that up. If you have a paper copy of your Bible, it's easy to miss as it's only one chapter Uh, 21 verses. But this gives, preached on uh, pride uh, Sunday before, about a week ago, I believe on Sunday morning. But this study of Obadiah, the prophet Obadiah, is another study in this matter of pride. Let me show you what verse 1 states. The vision of Obadiah. Thus says the Lord God concerning Edom. We have heard a report from the Lord, and a messenger has been sent among the nations, saying, Arise, and let us rise up against her for battle. As this first verse uh, points out, this is God's judgment. Obadiah's whole message is a God's judgment on the nation of Edom. The nation of Edom. Looking up Edom on a map, I wanted to show you its location and If you see at the bottom of this map, that's a broad area of what is believed to be uh, the kingdom of Edom. You'll see it's south and southeast of Judah, Jerusalem being the capital of Judah. Edom has a rich history. If you trace back Edom to to the very beginning, you'll remember that Edom is a nation uh, that came from Esau. Jacob, his name was changed to Israel. His twin brother Esau, um, he became he began this nation of Edom. There's a long history, and there's a lot. There, these two brothers, twins, uh, wrestled in the womb, and you remember uh, the birthright and and other things were. Transpired in that relationship. It was a rocky relationship between Jacob and Esau. Ultimately, they reconciled. But it seems that the struggle that they experienced continued on in the nations that flowed from them. Another map of Edom I wanted to highlight. On the eastern side, you'll see the Seir Mountain Range. And that seems to be the focus of Obadiah's prophecy concerning this nation of Edom. And how in this mountain range the Edomites built these fortresses and cities and, and to, they provided very well-protected fortresses from, from their enemies. In fact, I wanted to show you a city called Petra. Petra. The building that's carved out of the sandstone here was carved out much later than, than the time of Obadiah's prophecy. However, you can see the type of terrain is found in the Seir Mountains. You can see how in this type of terrain, by the way, there's a valley about a mile long and about 30 feet wide generally that led to this Petra. And this is an example of the type of fortresses and the type of of protection that these Edomites had against their, their enemies. If you imagine... An army being stationed on top of these mountains and another invading army coming through the valley it would be easily protected and all that comes in as Obadiah pronounces this judgment upon God from God upon upon Edom so the Edomites built their cities in the cliffs and thought themselves impregnable uh, they carved protective fortresses in the rock mountains and canyons and that You'll see that as we read through this small book of Obadiah. What's the occasion of the book? The occasion of the book is there's been a recent sack, a recent overtaking of the city of Jerusalem, and Edom was involved. Now here's a struggle among the historians as to exactly when that took place. Jack Lewis, that I often cite, he he notes about four different times when Jerusalem was overtaken, in which Edom could have been a part of it as well. And his conclusion is that the calamity here spoken of can hardly be other than that brought about Nebuchadnezzar in 586 BC. That's when that was the third wave of people of Judah that were taken into Babylonian captivity. Nebuchadnezzar and his army just leveled. Uh, Jerusalem. on that occasion. Jack Lewis says that that is likely the time that Obadiah is speaking about. But this book, Obadiah is warning Edom of her own coming destruction, and we'll see why as we get into the book. A couple of dates have been proposed as to when uh, the, the circumstances of this book are noted, a couple of different dates, and I mentioned 586 B.C. is one that many believe fits, fits the context. Again, the message of the book, I mean just 21 verses, falls easily into two parts. The first part, which we'll focus on primarily, is the fall of Edom. The fall of Edom. The second part is the exaltation of Zion. Zion being another name for, for Jerusalem, and it signifies Judah. So as Edom falls, then God's people, Judah, are elevated. They're exalted. So let's take a closer look at the text itself. So notice with me, in particular, the first 16 verses. First of all, we see the fall of Edom is predicted. And notice the wording again. We'll begin in verse 1. The vision of Obadiah Thus says the Lord God concerning Edom, We have heard a report from the Lord, and a messenger has been sent among the nations, saying, Arise, and let us rise up against her, Edom, for battle. Behold, verse 2, I will make you small. This is God speaking to Edom. I will make you small among the nations. You shall be greatly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you. You who dwell in the clefts of the rock... Whose habitation is high. You who say in your heart. Who will bring me down to the ground? So you can see Edom's pride in this. And if you visualize Petra and that kind of setting. And how they could build these fortresses and cities in these mountains that that could be easily defended. You get an idea of they felt like no one could get them. No one could conquer them. So they are filled with pride. And they ask this question, who will bring me down to the ground? It's answered in the next verse. God says to them, though you ascend as high as the eagle, and though you set your nest among the stars, from there I will bring you down, says the Lord. Hence the title, Pride Goes Before a Fall. So there's a proud people. We'll see how they treated Israel in a moment. But they are proud, they felt like no one could conquer them. Who can bring us down? God says, I will. And not only that, their destruction would be complete. Verse 5, if thieves had come to you, if robbers by night, oh how you will be cut off, would they not have stolen till they had enough? If grape gatherers had come to you, would they not have left some gleanings? Oh, how Esau shall be searched out, how his hidden treasures shall be sought after. You'll notice Edom is called by Esau, the first of the Edomites, if you will. The idea seems to be this. Thieves and grape gatherers, if they came in, they might leave something behind. But Edom is going to be completely destroyed. The NIV states the last, or verse 6 like this, but how Esau will be ransacked, his hidden treasures pillaged. Thieves and grape gatherers may leave something behind, but not for Edom. Edom's going to be destroyed. Edom who might be tempted to rely on their allies, they will not be able to rely on on them. Notice the next verse, verse 7. All the men in your confederacy or all the people allied with you shall force you to the border. The men at peace with you shall deceive you and prevail against you. Those who eat your bread shall lay a trap for you and no one is aware of it. So again, the allies would turn against them and be involved in their defeat. Not even wisdom and might could save them. Keep reading. Will I not in that day, says the Lord, even destroy the wise men from Edom and understanding from the mountains of Esau? Then your mighty men, O Teman, shall be dismayed to the end that everyone from the mountains of Esau may be cut off by slaughter. Their wisdom wouldn't help them in that day. Their mighty men would be powerless against God's judgment upon them. Again, the application, the first application, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. They were filled with pride. They felt invincible. Who will bring us down? And again, God says, I will bring you down. But it's a lesson for you and for me by application. The passage that Blaine read for us this morning. 1 Peter 5. God resists the proud. But gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. I'll also recall for you 1 Corinthians 10, verse 12. Let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. The Edomites thought they would always stand, but Obadiah is telling them, You will fall. Your pride is going before destruction. May we Learn from the people of Edom. But why? Why is God judging Edom like this? Well, notice another. It's not just because of their pride. Notice another reason for Edom's judgment. Verse 10. For violence against your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you, and you shall be cut off forever forever. In the day that you stood on the other side, in the the day that strangers carried captive his forces, when foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, even you were as one of them. Again, Jack Lewis suggests that this occurred in 586 B.C. when Nebuchadnezzar destroyed Jerusalem. If that is the case, then Edom was looking on. Edom was, you notice the language here, you stood on the other side. It made me think about the priest and the Levite passing by on the other side when this man was beaten and left for dead and needing help. Judah was needing help when Nebuchadnezzar came in to destroy Jerusalem and to carry off a third wave of captives. But Edom not only allowed it to happen, but looked on. And not only that, verse 12 But you should not have gazed on the day of your brother in the day of his captivity. Nor should you have rejoiced over the children of Judah in the day of their destruction. Nor should you have spoken proudly in the day of distress. So you can see not only did they stand by and watch. They also gloated over Judah's demise. And they rejoiced in that day. And they even spoke proudly about what was happening. Verse 13, You should not have entered the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Indeed, you should not have gazed on their affliction in the day of their calamity, nor laid hands on their substance in the day of of their calamity. You should not have stood at the crossroads to cut off those among them who had escaped, nor should you have delivered up those among them who remained in the day of distress. Let me sum that up. I love this statement of summary. Edom had encouraged Judah's foes. They had enjoyed Judah's fall. And they had enslaved Judah's fugitives. So if it was 586 B.C. and Babylon overtaking Jerusalem and Edom is is standing and watching and rejoicing in Judah's fall and, and even... Pillaging some of the the spoils, and when some of them try to escape, they don't allow them. They have just been cruel to, to Judah. It's described in progressive stages. But she is, Edom is condemned for her cruelty, and watch how one person broke it down. What type of cruelty, cruelty of the feet, and that Edom just stood by and watched. Cruelty of the eyes, they looked on the disaster as just standing by and looking. Cruelty of the heart, she rejoiced in Jerusalem destruction. Cruelty of the tongue, she spoke proudly of Judah's destruction. And cruelty of the hands, she laid hands on Judah's possessions and cut off the escape of some of the people of Judah. So there's nothing good said about Edom. And they've participated and rejoiced in Judah's fall. But now judgment is coming upon Edom because of how she had treated the people of Israel. Here's an application for you and for me. Do not mistreat your brethren. Notice they're called brethren. Uh, Judah and, uh, and Edom. Going back to Jacob and Esau, twins. Twins. They're still brothers. They're still connected uh, in relation. But Edom had cruelly mistreated Judah. And the message for you and for me is how we treat our brethren affects our relationship with God as well. Let me highlight a couple of passages. 1 John 4 and verse 20. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? You can't say, I love God, while hating your brother. Jesus would say, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, <coughs> leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. Find, first be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. In other words, your relationship with your brothers and sisters in Christ, is so important that it needs to be resolved as quickly as possible before you worship God uh, together. Do not mistreat your brethren. Edom is being judged because she had done just that. She had mistreated Judah. We read on in verses 15 and 16. God's message to Edom. The day of the Lord upon all the nations is near. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your reprisal shall return upon your own head. For as you drank on my holy mountain, so shall all nations drink continually. Yes, they shall drink and swallow, and they shall be as though they had never been. Notice that phrase. As you have done, it shall be done to you. As you have mistreated Judah, you will be mistreated, you will be judged, you will be punished. It reminded me of the phrase, what goes around, comes around. And God is saying to Edom, as you have done, it shall be done to you. Here's an application. Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. He who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. He who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. You reap what you sow. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Dwight L. Moody was at one time in a southern city preaching about the value of God's word in a person's life. And he was interrupted by someone who shouted out, Mr. Moody, I do do not believe a single word in that collection of old wives' tales you call your Bible. My dear man, replied Mr. Moody, there is one verse in this Bible that you are forced to believe. And he quoted Galatians 6 verse 7. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Mr. Moody went on to say, if a man sows wheat, he does not reap potatoes or peanuts. Take the saloon keeper, Mr. Moody said. He sows drunkards and he will reap drunkards. At that, many in the audience began to applaud Mr. Moody's statement. Mr. Moody didn't know this man who had objected to his Bible that he was preaching from. But many in the audience did know this man. This man was himself a notorious, longtime atheistic saloon keeper, and all of his children, both sons and daughters, were drunkards. It fits so well, this passage, you shall reap what you sow. And the saloon keeper was just, silence because he had realized the truthfulness of that verse in his own family you will reap what you sow on a lighter note sir robert watson watt i have read was the inventor of the radar but he himself was arrested for speeding he'd been caught in a radar trap well he later penned this poem Pity Sir Robert Watson Watt, strange target of his radar plot. And this, with others I could mention, a victim of his own invention. But how many have recognized the truthfulness and we've been victims of our own inventions? We have reaped what we have sown. But I want to highlight that Paul says in that very passage, whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. You can reap good things or you can reap bad things. He who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit, spiritual things, will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. We can reap good things or bad things, but it depends on what we sow. Obadiah, short book, 21 verses. I kind of wanted to uh, gloat over the fact that it just came in our series that I got the short book and Tucker's getting the longer books. But a short book with some powerful applications. But I need to be reminded of the first application. Pride goes before a fall. Do not mistreat your brethren. And you reap what you sow. And the nation of Edom, from Obadiah's judgment from God, would learn these very lessons. And history supports the fact that over the course of time, ultimately one would never hear of Edom again. The nation was completely destroyed. And all because of what Obadiah had said. Long, long ago, powerful lessons for application. Let me finish with this question: What are you sowing? What are you sowing? If we reap what we sow, what are we sowing? Are we sowing things? Uh, are we caught up in the things of the world and material things? And if that's our focus, we're going to reap what we sow. But if we're sowing spiritual things, if we're focusing on our lives on on the Word and studying it and applying it to our lives and focusing our sights on following after Jesus, we're going to reap what we sow. Good things or bad, but all depending on what we're sowing. Perhaps the Word has been sown in your heart tonight and you're ready to put it into action. You're ready to obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. If that be the case, we'd love to assist you If you desire the prayers of the church tonight, we would love to pray with you and for you. And won't you come right now as we stand and sing?